We are still go with Apollo 11. You're listening to Apollo 11 Legacies. The following podcast captures an Apollo 11 legacy panel discussion recorded in Huntsville, Alabama, as part of the Apollo 11 50th anniversary celebration. The Eagle has landed. The panels feature people with a personal connection to the Apollo project. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced through a partnership with Intuitive Technology and Research Corporation and WHNT News 19. Three, two, one. During most of 1945 and early 1946, my mother had no idea if my father was still alive or where he was. Ursula Mrazek Van is remembering her time in Germany when she was 11 years old. Her father, Willy Mrazek, was an engineer with Germany's rocket program during World War II, and he was part of a group of engineers and scientists who surrendered to American troops. He became part of Operation Paperclip. German rocket experts were brought to Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas. They worked at nearby White Sands Proving Ground, developing America's missile program. The men's families were still in Germany, and as Ursula said, not sure what had happened to them. However, in 1946 and 47, the families also came to Fort Bliss. And in 1950, the men and their families would all move to Huntsville. William Rezek would eventually become part of the Army Ballistic Missile Agency and then move to NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center when it was formed in 1960. Here's more from Ursula Van on her experience at the end of the war and her family's move to America and to Huntsville. This was recorded as part of a panel discussion at the Huntsville Public Library. On a sunny day, early in June, 1947, our family of four, my mother, two siblings, and I, arrived in El Paso, Texas, and were reunited with my father, whom we had not seen since very late 1944, early 1945. The long journey began almost two years earlier in the Sudetenland of my birth. The war was over, but the conditions had worsened considerably. The city of Ausik, where my grandparents lived, had been heavily bombed. Our small town of Nestumis, just a few miles down the river, down the Elba River had been pretty much spared. Our spacious home and belongings had been confiscated by the Czechs, and we were moved a couple of times to ever smaller houses. The last was a two-room frame house with no plumbing and no heat except the cold cook stove. Fortunately, one of our neighbor families from the big house, the Mullers, were also in this compound, and their son, Gunther, was was my best friend from those days. Food was very scarce and rationed. My mother bartered and begged with the storekeepers for a few items to keep us going. And I remember being sent to the store one time with a ration book to get some milk for the family. That was probably 11. It was basically the winter of the potatoes as we had a supply in the storage space under the floor. During most of 1945 and early 1946, My mother had no idea if my father was still alive or where he was. She knew he had been at Penamunda, but she had not heard from him for a long time. When a letter finally arrived from him, excuse me, in the early spring of 1946, it was to tell us that he was indeed alive in Bavaria and the American army was taking him and his coworkers to America and that we would follow. Uh, This was a dark time for us and continued for a while. In the spring and summer of 1946, almost all of the ethnic Germans who were living in the Sudeten part of Czechoslovakia 
which is now the Czech Republic, were deported. Thousands were shipped out by freight trains, sometimes in boxcars and sometimes in open cattle cars, to the American zone in Germany or the Russian zone, which later became East Germany. My grandparents left before we did. Somehow my mother knew when the train from Ausig would be passing through Nestemitz, and she and I were at the railroad station, with, and she wanted to toss a small package containing a loaf of bread to the car in which my grandparents were. I think she missed, but someone else I'm sure benefited. Uh, somewhere, um, oh, our turn came to leave a little later in the spring. My mother with a rucksack in the carriage with my brother, who was two, no, one and a, one and a half. And I was, my school satchel was in charge of my sister, who was three. We were fortunate that my father's older sister, Tante Ani, and her two teenage daughters were in the same group. We were also very fortunate that we traveled in a boxcar rather than an open one. Somewhere near the border in Germany, uh, Wiesau, I think, as best I remember, we spent the night in a refugee camp. And I was pleased with myself that I had smuggled a small gold medal on a chain on, that I wore under my clothes. The rest of the train later continued to the Russian zone. Miraculously, the American Army knew to get us off the train to continue our trip. I have some records of a book in Ausik, uh, of an Ausik history that details the dates and destinations of a number of these people shipments. And I also have gotten recently copies of a lot of, a number of the documents that he signed during the vetting process by the American Army. My daughter in Nashville found them on the internet. <laughs> the next, the next <coughs> leg of our journey was by army truck, the kind with a canvas over the top of the bed. The seven of us, my aunt and two cousins, um, rode in the back to Lundshut, Bavaria. The army was collecting the families of the von Braun team from all over the country and housing them in a complex of buildings until the transfer to America. My grandparents were already in Lansud. My father had made those arrangements as well. We shared an apartment with him, and it felt very good after the many months in the Baraka. <clears throat> My father was, at that time, already in America, and I think we missed him by about six weeks. Um, he had left a small stash of chocolates and other treats for us. He wrote often and sent many care packages. Along with the food the Army provided, we slowly recovered. A photo of my mother and the three of us children, which I have uh, and she had taken as soon as we arrived in Lansu to mail to him because there had been no photographs for the last, the previous year and a half, I think. Uh, many of my father's letters to me contained uh, pressed wildflowers that he had found in the desert. And unfortunately, they, those letters were lost after I saved them for a long time. The year we spent in Lanshut felt good, was good and felt normal. For the first time, I was allowed to go to school. The schools in Czechoslovakia after the war were for Czechs only. So my mother, who had been a teacher, once taught me some at home. In that one year, I was in the last few months of first grade. And then the next school year, I was in second grade, but soon was moved to third grade with a few others because of lack of space. Beginning in 1946, uh, the families in Lansud were being sent to America in small groups. Our turn came in May 1947. 
a group of perhaps a dozen families herded by Major Hamel, James Hamill, left by train from Lanzhou to Bremerhaven. It was hard leaving my grandparents, who had been such a strong presence during the war years. We, I never saw them again, although my parents visited my grandmother later. In Bremerhaven, we boarded a troop transport, the General C.C. Ballou, which was returning soldiers from Europe. And I wonder what they thought of this little group of German refugees watched over by Major Hamill. Uh, crossing the Atlantic took about 10 days. I made friends with Inge Bergeler, and we spent a lot of time exploring what we were allowed to. Inge was a couple of years older, so remembered more of the trip. We recently reminisced while attending a function at the Space and Rocket Center. She said we played a lot of card games while we were on shipboard. <laughs> uh, the, the ship probably docked in New Jersey, as best as I can find out. As we were all in Army custody, we did not go through Ellis Island. We spent several days at, I think, at Fort Hamilton in New York City. Finally, we boarded the train at Grand Central Station bound for Texas. None of the Germans were allowed to leave the train for the entire journey. So Inga and I played more card games and did some <laughs> sightseeing. We crossed a huge river and was told it was Mississippi. As we got further west, the countryside turned from green to brown. And somewhere along the train away, a train, the train stopped at a station. And all we could see was flat brown land with some scrubby vegetation. This was nothing familiar, and we wondered about our new home. On this trip, too, we were introduced to many new foods. In particular, I remember cornflakes, which was a new taste and concept, dry cereal, and especially canned orange juice. After three days on the train, we finally arrived in El Paso. My father and the other fathers were all there to meet us. This would be my first ride in a passenger car. Transportation in Germany had been trains and streetcars and walking. My father had bought a gray 1941 Oldsmobile sedan, and it was to us very, very nice. And three years later, it brought us to Huntsville. Uh, this was also the first time my father met his two-and-a-half-year-old son, since we had not seen him since, uh, since late, late 40, 1944. Ursula Van actually wrote down her experience coming to America. We'll hear more from Ursula in just a moment. More now from Ursula Van, the daughter of German engineer Willy Mrezik, one of the Operation Paperclip scientists who came to America at the end of World War II. As I said, uh, my father also met his son for the first time. Um, he had not been home on leave since early January 45. I have some photographs, and I think that's about when they were taken. He did have a photo my mother had made of the four of us shortly after we arrived in Lansu in 1946. By that time, he had left for America about six weeks earlier. Uh, my brother Wilfred was named Bushy as a baby, and this became Bushy in school. And when he was grown, he became Bill. <laughs> <laughs> in Fort Bliss, the whole team, plus families and a number of Americans and GIs, were housed in a fenced compound with MPs at the gates on the outskirts of El Paso. The single-story barracks had been an annex of the William Beaumont, Beaumont Army Hospital. This compound was not being used and belonged to the government. It was located a couple of miles from the hospital at the end of a long straight 
road from the Franklin Mountains east. Biggs Army Airfield was across this road, and the El Paso Airport was beyond in the desert. And I just as last week found a small map of El Paso in an old road atlas, and I was right about the locations of all those. The, the one-story barracks were being converted into apartments and offices. All the long buildings were connected at the end by long enclosed hallways, probably once there had been doors to each building. The halls had brown linoleum floors, and the kids soon learned that they were great for roller skating and playing and running and getting reprimanded for that. There were three residential streets, A, B, and C. The streets were also connected by enclosed hallways with openings at the street crossings. And this could make for a good bit of walking if you visited friends in the next street. The team was at Fort Bliss for about a year before the families started arriving. Most of their pay was transferred to the families in Lansu. And soon the men were sending packages with many of the necessities plus treats that were so scarce in post-war Europe. I know my mother sent dad the outlines of each of our feet for new shoes. In Fort Bliss, before the families arrived, a few of the men built furniture. My father made several pieces based on some of the furniture we had had to abandon. They were sturdy, utilitarian pieces, not fine, finely finished, but they served us well for a few years. Uh, one of the very few pieces he bought was an armchair, a very mid-century modern rattan frame with cushions. I still have it and use it. And I think <laughs> it must make it a family antique. The, the cushions have been replaced and covered, but it looked pretty good. <laughs> Another project of his was a series of thin plywood cutout wall plaques of characters from Grimm's fairy tales. He had used watercolors to paint them, and they, they too were fairly crude, but again, they were based on some I'd had in Germany. And these still survive with my Nashville daughter. When we first arrived, our apartment was not ready, and we shared the whole barracks building with the Holderers, Oscar Inga, his mother Oma Holderer, and the son Thomas, who was also about two. Bushy and Thomas became lifelong friends. The large room at the end of the street became our living room in one corner and playroom. The back of the building had a hall and a series of rooms and a kitchen. Most of the meals there were communal, which was a big help for my mother because the Holderers had been here almost a year and were getting familiar with the new foods. Oscar and my father had a dark room in one of those rooms, and I was occasionally allowed to sit in there and while they developed the film. It was fascinating to see the images appear on the paper. They documented events around the compound as well as the surrounding area. And as I understand, they took uh, pictures of documents for, excuse me, for other families, so this, this was offered to other families. They had a small business going. Uh, we soon moved to our apartment on B Street. It was next to a building that had become offices and drafting rooms. Beyond that was one of the crosswalks and then the small PX. Our family had the unit in the back, and next to us were the Foss family. And um, then uh, Bruno Heusinger, and finally Rudy and Doretta Schlitt. There was a sizable group of children, roughly my age, seven or eight to 10 years old when we arrived. Dodgeball, kickball, roller skating were favorite outdoor activities, among the girls anyway. A swimming pool was at the compound, and many of us learned to swim there. The well-known photograph of the entire team in 1946 was taken in front of that pool. 
You're listening to Ursula Mrezik Van, the daughter of Operation Paperclip engineer Willie Mrezik. In just a moment, you'll hear the conclusion of Ursula's remembrance. Here's more from Ursula Van, the daughter of German rocket engineer Willie Mrezik. The first summer, 1947, the Army, which was in charge of us, organized the summer school to teach us some English. Later, there were informal classes held by some of the parents and one of, on different topics. I was in a group taught by Mrs. Heller to keep, up, keep us up with German grammar, etc. And Mr. Angela had some informal sessions teaching his daughter Crystal and me about the basics of drawing, like um, perspectives and that sort of thing. <laughs> Come September, the whole group of school-age kids was bused into El Paso to the city schools. I was put in the third grade at Crockett School with two other German girls in the class. They were Ursula Olaf Fulwe and Marianne Rudolph. It was a bit scary being dumped into a class knowing so very little English but we were well received and each was assigned an American student to guide us. Mine was Raquel, a Hispanic girl who took good care of me, but still a lot was strange to us. For instance, an assignment of having to pick words that had to do with summer from a list on the chalkboard. Uh, some I recognized, but picnic was a totally new word. Another <laughs> incident was uh, when lunch included a tamale, and I think I was hungry that day. <laughs> I and several others attended Crockett School for the low fourth and high, low and high third and the low and high fourth grades. The teachers and students were all very welcoming. In the low fourth, I had a very memorable teacher. Mrs. Downstairs Brown, to distinguish her from Mrs. Upstairs Brown. <laughs> she spent much time on social studies, and we, we had a, a long study of, on the Rio Grande and the lands along the river, and did a lot of drawings for that. And I, I just, I loved the drawing part and kept that report for a long time. Uh, the teacher for the high fourth grade was one that did not seem to care for uh, us German kids. And it was the only time I didn't get a gold star on my report card. <laughs> the following year, a group of us was moved to Houston School for the low fifth. We were again a curiosity. Only Crystal Angela and Helga Minning were in my homeroom. It was a good half year with more interaction with the American classmates. A couple of birthday parties were fairly complicated undertaking, both distance-wise and rules we had to live by. For the high fifth, second half of the fifth grade, we were moved again. Our little class of fifth graders and our teacher from Houston School, Mrs. McAngus, were housed in a self-contained building somewhere between Fort Bliss proper and our compound. The students were all Germans and army dependents. It was a fairly in informal situation. The playground was just sand, so we couldn't play jacks anymore like we had at Rock a Crockett in Houston. And I, I don't even remember the lunch situation. It must have been sack lunches. But transportation to all the schools was by army bus with an MP on board to keep us in line. <laughs> <laughs> and they watched us across the roads and you had to tow the line there. On weekends, we were allowed to roam further. Our family, like many others, spent time exploring the region. My father really loved the desert and its plants and the mountains and the, the rocks uh, with ore in them. Outings to the Sacramento Mountains in New Mexico 
to both Cloudcroft and Ruidoso were favorites. There's a national forest in the Sacramento Mountains in contrast to the Franklin and Oregon Mountains, which were rocky and desert. We also visited White Sands, New Mexico, National Monument a number of times. Those high gypsum sand dunes were great for sliding down. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> and then there were several trips to Carlsbad Caverns where you could eat lunch in a box, get a box lunch far down in a, in a large cool room, and the rock formations were impressive. Closer by in El Paso, there were also a number of outings, shopping downtown in a multi-story department store, lunches of soup and sandwiches. The family also went to a real rodeo, and we made a number of visits to the museum at the College of Mines, which is now University of Texas in El Paso. They had a large rock and mineral collection, and you could see it by ultraviolet light, which really changed the colors. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, McKelligan Canyon at the base of the Franklin Mountains was a favorite area for picnics and hiking. And further to the east were the Hueco tanks, again, a good area for hiking. It seemed like my father made sure we visited every national monument, national park, and significant <laughs> site that was a driving distance of El Paso. When we learned that the team was to be moved to Alabama, we had our grand tour of the Southwest. It was a several-day-long trip to Arizona and parts of New Mexico we had missed. We saw the Grand Canyon, the Painted Desert, Petrified Forest, Meteor Crater, Montezuma National Monument, and several other sites, and then uh, went down Car Oak Creek Canyon to Phoenix, where the temperature was 110-plus degrees. <laughs> and then we went back, back to Fort Bliss by way of Silver City, New Mexico. Um, and I was, I am really grateful that my father was interested in seeing, visiting all these places. It certainly has, has influenced my later outlook. Another episode is that our family and our friends, the Holderers, each bought one-acre lots in a new development north of the city called Sunrise Acres. Oscar actually finished a small house built by hand about the time we learned that we would be moving to Alabama and they never got to live in it. My father spent the time at our lot preparing the house site and working on plans. About this time, late 1949-1950, the government decided that the paperclip scientists and families could apply for U.S. citizenship. This meant leaving the country and entering again legally. Juarez across the Rio Grande from El Paso was the choice. We rode a streetcar across the bridge, and it took a visit to the U.S. consulate for paperwork, and then we had to return to Texas. After five years' residency from that date, we would become naturalized citizens, and the final ceremonies all happened in Alabama. Uh, soon we had to make the trip to Huntsville, still in the 1941 Olds, and there was a dog as well as the three kids by this time. And in true form, we did a lot of sightseeing along the way. I remember the McDonald Observatory, the Alamo, and stops in Houston across uh, Louisiana and Alabama. We crossed under Mobile Bay in the tunnel and finally arrived in Huntsville late one evening. Um, I was somewhere prepared for our new environment in Texas. My father had written many letters describing the desert in El Paso. He sent a number of postcards, and some of his letters to me had pressed desert wildflowers take to them. So arriving in this wonderful sunny place was like moving from a black and white, mostly gray movie to a bright technicolor one. <laughs> <laughs> the atmosphere was optimistic and everything seemed possible.
You've been listening to the memories of Ursula Van, the daughter of German rocket engineer Willy Merezik. This was recorded during a panel discussion featuring the children of Operation Paperclip scientists. We invite you to listen to our other podcasts on this subject and more as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon mission. Go to the Apollo 11 tab at the top of our website, whnt.com, where you'll also find other interesting items on North Alabama's contribution to America's manned spaceflight history. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced in partnership with Intuitive Research and Technology. Content made possible with the U.S. Space and Rocket Center's Legacy Panel Lecture Series. Music provided by Megatracks.